From beautiful downtown Southern Maryland, it's time for Gears of Resistance episode number 85 for the 14th of August, 2018. I'm Mike. It's time to make things better. Um, all right. So um, I'm going to be getting back into a routine. I keep saying that, but I think this time it's going to stick. Uh, since we did this last Gears of Resistance, we are now a uh, featured blog on eecatalog.com so if you head over there uh, you can find our latest um, uh, written blogs and then you'll still get your podcasts from here and then we'll do the uh, YouTube videos uh, for projects so kind of like the idea is that the podcasts uh, well people that kind of consume information orally will get it here people that like it visually will do the blog either on gearsresistance.com or eecatalog.com and then the um, the visual uh, folks um, will do projects. Um, we're not going to just record the podcast video because I think that's kind of freaking boring. We tried that for a while. We did that. Um, I learned lessons. Just it didn't feel right. It's kind of boring and editing all that video. So the idea is video occasionally, blogs pretty regularly, at least once a month. Um, and then podcast probably every other week or if at worst case once a month um, until I get a routine and maybe get some partners up in here. Uh, partners meaning people that I can actually talk with instead of talking to myself. As much as fun it is to talk to yourself, uh, playing with others is always nicer. Um, all right. So with that, let's jump into uh, what we're going to do. So first of all, uh, if you want to get newsletters, um, I'm still going to do the occasional kind of like newsletter once a week. Uh, very automated, very impersonal. Uh, but you'll get to see some of the stuff that I'm interested in. If you want to sign up for that, go to gearsofresistance.com and you'll see the... Um, the uh, sign up for the newsletter on the right hand side. Uh, if you're an, if you're someone who wants to advertise with us, we're going to try some advertising sponsorship stuff. If you scroll down to the bottom of the right side, you'll see a little link that says advertise with us. Um, so the uh, both of them will lead you to a form. You fill it out, and uh, we'll be in touch. Um, all right, so let's jump right in. So lots, lots happened since the last time we did episode 84, which I think was. Let's go check here. When did we do 84? A long time ago. I know Han Solo's been out. I know the Avengers Infinity War's been out. Uh, oof, April 21st. And then, uh, so if you've been following along, April 21st was the last Gears of Resistance podcast. We launched with... Um, EE catalog on May. So May 21, we did Arduino graduates, enters the professional world. July 8th, we did primer on embedded side channel attacks. And just here a couple days ago, we launched uh, open hardware or secure IoT. Is it a mutually exclusive choice? That sounds very dry, but it was the best I could come up with. Uh, so we're going to talk about a couple of those stories, actually. Uh, summarize what maybe wasn't written there and a couple other news stories that if you had signed up for the newsletter, you would have gotten. Um, and a couple of the things that you only get here on the podcast because we got to make it worthwhile somehow. Um, so let's talk about, so uh, the I got the uh, the, the Maker Vidor, Vidor, Vidor 4000. Um, which is Arduino's first foray into uh, field programmable gate arrays, which is basically think of it as programmable hardware. So um, my background in computer engineering, we wrote VHDL, I think, or Verilog. So it kind of looks like software, but what you're really doing is telling hardware 
to basically organize itself in a certain way. Um, and basically the idea is you can make whatever kind of hardware, um, uh, that you want. So, um, unlike procedural code that you follow through, basically you're, you're configuring hardware. So things go faster, right? Things are, um, much more responsive. So the, the Vitor, the Vitor, um, with their, they're going to offer a, um, a block diagram. So think like blockly. So it's not quite, I don't think, well, they say, I think you can write VHDL or Verilog if you have that tool chain. Um, but again, none of this is the, why they've released the hardware. They haven't done the software upgrades or the IDE has been updated to do this stuff. And I think actually programming, um, the FPGA side with the Blockly is only going to be done in the browser. There's not going to be a, an offline, um, unless again, you can use, uh, you know, professional grade tools chains that you already have on your computer. The idea, if you're, if you're for a novice though, which is again, the idea of getting people, this is kind of like, think of this as like the original, which one was it? The, the, the Dimelo Nueve, the Dicimela. What was the original? Arduino that most of us got our hands on something like that. Like that, uh, my Italian is, is really rusty. Um, this is, I think is the idea is this is kind of like that entry level, um, where, yeah, there are more powerful things out in the market, but we want to get you uh, interested in FPGA. So, uh, I think they're going to come up with, um, you know, a bunch of def- predefined blocks. So, um, they using the example in their, in their marketing literature, it says they're going to give you some UARTs. They're going to give you some spy, some I2C, uh, some signal delta digital analog converters, some, um, pulse width modulation charts. Basically, um, instead of setting this stuff up in software, uh, the, you know, your normal wiring code, your C code, um, you're going to kind of plug and chug, uh, blocks in a blockly like format. And basically you're going to be able to offload a lot of the stuff that's, um, maybe would be process of intensive, um, or would require a lot of delays. You're going to take all that kind of stuff and offload it to the FPGA and your microcontroller. Uh, you're going to focus on just, uh, basically it will have less, less to do. It'll be more, um, streamlined. It'll be more quote unquote professional grade. It'll be more, um, you know, you, you should, uh, and I, again, I think that at the end of this today, it's all about, it's really about expanding right now, at least the, the maker community, um, getting them into the world. And I think it's, I got it for 60 bucks. I think the full cost is 75 bucks when that right now it's quote unquote on sale. Um, that is when I looked in like some amateur grade FPGA learning boards, uh, about a year ago, I think anything that was decent was well over a hundred. There were some ones that weren't quite well supported. I mean, the issue and the, the not the issue, but the reason that I think Arduino is successful, um, and you can you know deliberate this if you're a professional versus an, a maker, is that it comes with a built-in community and um, great support. May not be professional grade support. It might not be. Um, you know, you're not going to be building the next, uh, Mars lander with this stuff, but, um, for the purpose that it serves, um, that, that's really what makes a huge difference. I mean, if you look at everyone out there, you know, pick, um, TI and their, the MSP 430 line, 432 now, you know, everyone's kind of mirroring whether they to admit it or not the Arduino ecosystem down to the look of the IDE in some cases, um, because it works, it does work at least to get people in. And there, here's the reality, especially if it's students that are using this to learn, you know, why does Microsoft give away discounted versions of office and, and, um, uh, well, I guess Microsoft, the operating system's not so important now, but you know, why are there discounted apps? Why do, why do many companies give away discounts to students? Um, because it, it becomes your training. You learn that and that's how, that's what you want in their professional, um, experience. So, um, you know, 
Arduino Raspberry Pi is influencing the professional world just as much as the professional world uh, is, is, is influencing um, Arduino, in this case at least. And speaking of that, and, and why I'm convinced, um, you know, don't, don't discount Arduino yet, uh, if professionally, is, uh, you know, they've, so they've announced a new version of their, their MKR, their maker um, boards. Um, which are really geared to prototyping to production. Um, obviously, if you're doing any sort of volume, um, probably still not worth it. But if you're doing, if you're doing kind of niche products, um, the idea of plugging playing these things is not without the, is not beyond the reality. Um, even from a when you account for cost, um, so, and, I, and the point of that is, uh, with these new M, the MKR, what was it? The, the 10,010 is the new, or 1,010 or 1010. Is it binary? Is it, is it, what's that? The, uh, 10, 8, 0, yeah, 8, 4, 2, 1. Anyway, the maker Wi Fi 1010 versus the maker 1000 Wi-Fi. Um, lot, lots of, um, it's not so, and so, so much of the board itself. While well, the board will, t- and we'll talk about it, contains, I think it's microchips, ECC5, yeah, ECC508A um, crypto chip. And we're going to talk about what the hell does that actually mean in terms of, in practical terms. Um, and, um, but, the other, the part of those, those new M- maker boards or MKR, I don't know what the, what they're pronouncing it as. Um, I think it's maker. Um, they also announced a CAN bus shield and a, um, RS45 shield. So, uh, the uh, CAN bus, obviously, uh, automotive uses. I think there's, um, uh, some uses for that in, in the drone world. So, uh, oh, and yeah, so Maker Can Shield coming soon still. And let's see, do they have it still up on here? Where did it go? Where did it go? Is it for sale now? Maybe it's for sale. Let's go to new products. Oh, there it is. Nope. Shield. There it is, maker of the 485 shield. So the RS45 is used in, in industrial applications, so machine controls and whatnot. So, um, yeah, programmable logic controllers, drives, human machine interfaces. This is this is you know, I can't imagine there's a home use for this. So to me, this is. Arduino's way of saying yes, we do want to get into um, the industrial space. Now, whether maybe it's just for training purposes through academic experiences, um, but I think not. I think they have an eye on on the on uh, the, a bigger prize than just uh, education. That's just I don't know if that's me reading tea leaves, but I, I think they have higher aspirations. Um, it gets, goes back to this. There's this. There's this. There's this middle between amateurs and professionals that's growing. Um, you know, this, they call the quote unquote the pro maker market. Which, even though I'm a professional engineer, I would consider myself more of a pro maker because kind of focus more on niche level products, which is a lot of custom work, um, and a lot of hands on. So I think, um. You know, a lot of this is just the, the reality is the world's changing. There's there's a new um, new class of engineers, designers, hobbyists that's emerging. That's you know more skilled than a hobbyist, uh, less resource as, um, as as professionals that are doing niche bespoke products that don't need to don't want to necessarily build everything from scratch, but at the same time. Um, 
just buying something commercial off the shelf and slapping a label on it's not good enough. So I think you're going to see a lot more people taking to these jobs and there's going to be more of these jobs because, you know, we're, we're, we're closing on 8 billion people on this planet. 9 billion won't be too far after it. 10 billion, um, you know, giving people new jobs and meaningful jobs and jobs that make stuff. And I, you know, I, I'm a big firm believer that jobs with people that work with their hands are the best types of jobs. Um, and the more we can create those, the better uh, we are all off. So uh, my point is, you know, those that poo-poo the idea of Arduino, quote-unquote, in professional uses, I think um, the definition of professional grade is expanding, uh, as is with what do you consider amateur or professional amateur or pro maker um, can do as quality work as, as some of the, you know, crappy stuff you could have bought at Radio Shack 10, 20 years ago. Um, I've, I've seen makers do way better stuff than some like the old X10 stuff that you used to buy. Um, anyway, so that's the new stuff that's coming in from Arduino. Check it out, arduino.cc. Go to their buy, go to their store, and you can look at a hit uh, on the left side. It says new products, and you can see all the new stuff that's coming out. Um, so let's dive in. Let me see here. Did I hit everything I wanted to do on that? We talked about the FPGA. So let's talk about, um, the crypto hardware that's available on some of the newer Arduino boards. So, uh, I think everyone that I've seen, and I'll focus right now on the MKR 1010, 1010, so just the number 10 in binary. I don't know what it is, uh, but it contains the microchip ECC5A08 crypto authentic or um, well, there's labeling it as uh, crypto authentication chip. So a bunch of us were sitting around. We're like, well, you know, we understand crypto in the uh, um, general sense. So we understand what's available in high grade uh, devices. But what is a... What is the what is the maker 1010 going for? I think 29.90. So what is what are you getting when a less than thirty dollar um, embedded development board? So we went to of like everything. We went to the uh, um, the data sheets and we did some research and we we're looking at exactly what is microchip um, intending with this chip. So. Basically, with their if 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 you've ever twiddled with your settings on your your computer, and you're told you know, you got to turn on SSL or TLS uh, on your browser settings because to get to a website, right? Um, so TLS, and I'll make sure I get it right because I'm not a I'm a hardware guy, and all this internet stuff with all you software people, you're making me learn, which is good. So transport layer security protocol, um, basically. Um, when I talk to a server, how do I know that's really the server that I'm talking to and not somebody else? Uh, vice versa. I think TLS does have, it's in the, um, protocol. It's, it's part of the, 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 the governing documents on the protocol, but I don't think it's really used as well. Then how does the server know that the client that it's talking to is really the client? Um, I think that's done higher up in the OSI stack, usually for the client verification. But anyway, for uh, you know the Internet of Things, both are important because there's not going to be a human being sitting there typing in their username and password, right? In, in, in the Internet of Things world, it's a device to a device, an endpoint to an endpoint kind of thing. Um, you know, there's not a uh, the humans out of the loop uh, for the most part, or at least for this purposes. So. Uh, how does the device that's sending, hey, I'm out here, I'm reading some temperature sender, uh, temperature readings, and I'm sending them to the server. How do I know it's really uh, a device on my network that I want to listen to? Um, and then, of course, the you know, as you, when you transmit, you want it encrypted. You don't want someone to be able to sniff uh, and look at your data um, if it's clear text, which makes it really easy. Uh, so you want your you want your your data going across encrypted, and then uh, you want all the stuff, all the security stuff. So any of your encryption keys, certificates, anything that's that you're concerned that you know if people got access to this data um, or this bit of information, they could now spoof a device. So you know a lot of stuff today, uh, Internet of Things, and I'm probably guilty of it. We we store a lot of our encryption keys in the software side, and if someone gets a hold of your software, um, for instance, like if you post your your API keys um, in your code, and you post it to GitHub. Well, damn! Now you've you know 
potentially um, bad guy now can you know can authenticate as you. So anyway, so the idea is you know in security what do they say it's and this is what I'm it's authenticate encrypts. Um, how do you ensure authenticate? Encrypts and authorized. Um, so this this chip. Now I'll say what this chip can do, and I will say I, I I'm still trying to see how do you actually use it within um, the Arduino ecosystem. Are they going to let us have access to? Um, all the functionality, or is there going to be uh, a limited subset of what this chip can do available um, through the Arduino IDE? So the three the three takeaways and what microchip is is you know what their what their claim is the, th- the three components of the of their of security that they think this chip supports. Authentication, identification, encryption, secure storage. So again, the ability to say that this device is really me, without having to rely on again a user, you know, in, in the the internet when you log into a website and your browser looks for certificates from the from the browser, great, or from the server, great. But then you, as a user, would type in username and password to authenticate you as the client. Well, again, Internet of Things stuff. There is no, there's no guy or gal. It's another piece of silicon. So this 508, I'm going to authenticate. You'll be able to say this is this is this is me. Uh, encrypt. You're going to be able to it has the ability to do various encryption algorithms in hardware, which makes it more efficient. Um, and since the keys are stored in the hardware, more more secure. Um, so now I can take my packet of data and encrypt it and then send it up. So cool. Now I'm preventing man-in-the-middle attacks. I'm, I'm making myself more secure in terms of the communication between client and server. And then all that stuff that allows for security to occur, instead of, again, storing it in your software, um, the, the, the 508 chips allows secure storage. So... When you boil it down, what the chip offers is the ability to identify and authenticate yourself, the ability to encrypt your traffic, and then secure all your encryption stuff um, in hardware. Now, again, that's what Microchip's 508, whether or not that's everything is coming to Arduino and, and what that means for Arduino. But the fact is that's the chip that's incorporated, and that's what... Um, you should be able to to take advantage of if the full functionality is indeed uh, accessible through um, you know assuming some sort of library um, that Arduino would offer. So that's it in a nutshell. That's exactly when this is when so when you look in the the marketing and it says, "Doyle, yes, the maker to ten one thousand ten or one zero one zero has encryption hardware on it," and you're like, "Cool, encryption hardware." crypto hardware what does that mean um that's what it should uh be able to offer you in your iot application um and there's another so if following on with that story um i guess the couple months ago microsoft released their uh, and i didn't know why i didn't hear about it i think it's created some controversy uh, for some reasons but they uh, basically microsoft released azure sphere which is actually their first um publicly available linux based operating system so microsoft has now released a linux operating system or um, a linux flavor of linux and it's geared to internet of things devices now i'm a little bit confused i think it's probably more like obviously you know the Arduino doesn't have an OS. It runs a bootloader that you takes your firmware and, um, but perhaps like a Raspberry Pi device. So I don't know exactly where this, where they're, where they're visioning this, this, what, you know, Microsoft, obviously software company first and foremost. Um, 
you know, is, is not every, you know, most devices I, I imagine most, uh, because if nothing else from a cost perspective, IoT devices are running microcontrollers that don't have an OS. Some probably have, you know, if they do, it's an RTOS of some sort. Um, but a lot of stuff is just, it's running embedded firmware, right? It's just, you know, there's a bootloader, maybe, um, um, and, and well, hopefully, because else makes making updates a hell of a lot harder, especially in an Internet of Things world. But um, not necessarily a full blown OS. But anyway, uh, a part of the Azure Sphere, they also released their what they call the seven principles of highly secure devices, um, which I guess can be used as a uh, checklist uh, for any. Um, com- you know, any hardware, software, OS, anything that's claiming to be an Internet of Things device, if you ask these questions about it, um, you can, you know, ascertain or, you know, make some reasonable assumptions as to whether or not uh, this is a – someone had thought about security in this IoT device. So the seven properties, they say, is hardware trust – hardware-based root of trust – and with their example, they give an example to all these properties because they're kind of just names. Uh, an, unf- an unforgeable cryptographic key generated and protected by hardware. Physical countermeasures resist side channel attacks. Um, we actually did, I just did a blog on side channel attacks. So basically, um, in a nutshell, side channel attacks are uh, the device, the, the fit, you know, as a device runs, the, the, the simple physics of it. Um, you know, power draw, for example, um, there are things that you can do. So as for, for example, as a microcontroller is uh, performing uh, an encryption algorithm, um, if you monitor simply the, the, the power it's consuming, um, you can reverse engineer what that encryption key was. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, it's not a simple attack. This is not, this is not, um, you know, something that the average hacker is going to be able to do. Uh, but conversely, while this was something that perhaps would have cost, you know, the hardware to do this kind of stuff would have cost, you know, $10,000, $20,000 just a few years ago. Um, tools like the chip whisper now means, you know, the cost of this, this kind of attack, um, is coming down. Um, which means that now more more inexpensive if, as the as the bad guy or uh, hardware or the hardware that a bad guy could uh, pervert it into doing bad things as that gets cheaper um, then the hardware has to become uh, more robust so hardware based root of trust the second is small trusted uh, computing based private keys stored in hardware protected vault. We just talked about that. Inaccessible to software, division from software into protecting layers. Number three, defense in depth. Multiple mitigations applied against each threat. Countermeasures mitigate the consequences of a successful attack on any one vector. Um, okay. Uh, compartmentalization, hardware-enforced barriers between software components prevent a breach in one from propagating to the other. So memory management kind of, of units, I would guess, um, uh, certificate-based authentication, again, signed certificate proven by unforgeable crypto keys, proves the identity and authenticity. Um, again, IoT, that's kind of important because, you know, up until now, a lot of us have been storing our stuff in software, not good not good about practice. Um, and obviously, in IoT, you're not going to have a user signing in. Uh, renewable security. Is their sixth uh, renewable brings the device forward to a secure state and revokes compromised assets for known security vulnerabilities or breaches. So I guess it's kind of like uh, you know, basically, can I update the software um, and can I get back to a clean state if I do get hacked? And then report failure or failure reporting is what they're saying is their seventh. Um, so anyway, if you're curious, um, they are releasing. I think it's based on an ARM processor. There's going to be like a, I think it's a hundred dollar, um, Azure Sphere getting started kit. You can get off their, their website. Um, I think it's, they're working it through seat with seed studio, actually, if I recall correctly, because who's selling it. But, um, you know, there is concern. I think some of the concern is vendor lock, like, okay, 
it's Microsoft. They're a software company. Um, the, you know, and, and I think ARM has their, their, they have their own kind of solution to this too. But the point is, um, I think people are, are taking this, uh, seriously. Specifically, a lot of it is, is, you know, a lot of security. Um, it's not, again, Microsoft's a software company, but there, there needs to be trusted hardware. And I think, um, from what I can recall, uh, in the article, uh, they are licensed. They're, they're not charging a licensing fee for the, the hardware aspects that support the Azure sphere. It's going to be uh, a free and open license. Um, so, you know, take that as maybe a, an altruistic, uh, outreach of Microsoft, but probably to serve greater good. But at the end of the day, uh, we do, we, you know, some of the, some of the devices, especially, uh, and what and what I've written about in an article, we'll technically talk about that is, uh, you know, Internet of Things, uh, a secure Internet of Things versus open hardware, right? Where a lot of the devices that are going to make up the Internet of Things likely are going to be kind of, you know, these Arduinos with the, with the by Maker. So now you're going to have all this stuff on the Internet um, that might be homebrewed and doesn't take care of cons- safety or just security. Um that can be commandeered and hacked and thrown into uh, the slaves into botnets and whatnot. Um, so it's just curious. This the question is: Can can you have open hardware that supports that is that is makes up the internet that is a part of the Internet of Things um, and still have a secure Internet of Things? So, you know, on, on the one hand. Um, we all, you know, as, as makers and tinkerers, we like the idea of I can, you know, I love the open hardware because everything I need to know about how to hack and get the most performance out of this device is accessible. That's the whole intent of open hardware. Well, conversely, now to make it useful, um, you know, I have to, I, as a professional, I follow certain practices. As a maker, it's not that I'm ignorant. It's, it's, it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I might be ignorant. I've cobbled together a device to make my own needs, but, um, you know, are we really, are we really encouraging good security or how are we making security easy enough, um, that, that, you know, we can all take advantage because at the end of the day, right? It's the weakest, it's a weakest chain thing. You know, one, one, a couple bad devices. That's, you know, it's all you need if you're a bad guy who wants to launch um, and, and build up a, a, a botnet army. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I, you know, I certainly don't want open hardware to go away because I think it's a great learning. Um, it, it's it's the playground that we learn from. Uh, certainly, you know, I'm envious of, of people today that are learning versus you know, 20 years ago, trying to learn on a basic stamp. Um, no offense. Um, <laughs> but it, the, the, certainly just the quality of, of capability and costs today versus what it would take to get into, break into embed it, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, significantly different. Um, but at the same time, in those 20 years, internet became publicly available. Uh, has gone wireless, 3G, 4G, f- coming 5G, LoRaWAN, um, you know, all these these things that make modern life convenient, fun, easy, um, have have also emerged, um, and they're merging and converging, and. Um, Anyway, food for thought. Can we have security and can we have openness at the same time? It's kind of like, you know, the privacy and security debate too, right? Like, well, do you want privacy or do you want security? Because I think most people kind of, um, you know, not that it is a 100% all one or all the other. Um, it's certainly a very um, delicate balancing act and certainly from the hardware software perspective you build in one back door you know it doesn't matter if it's built for quote unquote the good guys um anyone can exploit it right so anyway 
that's that. What else do we want to talk about? Oh, so it's talking about um, the principles, the hacking five. So I'm also writing an article. We're talking about so talking about penetration testing and vulnerability assessment. So of Internet of Things devices, right? So how do you test to see if your stuff is actually um, vulnerable to any whatever the whatever attacks? Um, and we'll talk about those. Uh, the hack stack or whatever it's what people are calling it. Um, you know, what are all the different things, all the different ways an IOT device can be hacked um, from the hardware level up to like the cloud services and, and whatnot. Um, there's a lot of surface area to be attacked, a lot of ways to, to make unintended things happen. So part of that I was talking about. Um, so we're talking about is what are some hardware devices that, Penetration testers, vulnerability assessors from hardware, because like, you know, we, everyone knows about the software tools, or at least when I go to like a SANS training, um, you know, the, it's definitely geared more to web application, traditional mobile application, you know, um, traditional network, uh, security kind of stuff. So, you know, everyone talks about Wireshark and Nmap, but what about when you're, you know, to test hardware? It's kind of like you fight fire with fire. You need to have uh, hardware devices. You know, if, if physical, if you, you know, physical access is a reality in an Internet of Things world, because if everything has a sensor, if everything has a microcontroller, if everything has a processor in it, um, you know, bad guys will find one and, and get a hold of it. Um and that means physical access, which means, you know, once you have physical access, you can do all kinds of great things. You can, um, you know, if there's a JTAG port, you can now dump out the firmware and, and do some reverse engineering. Um, you can put on your own custom bootloader and add backdoors. So, um, so the point was, if that's what the bad guys are going to end up doing, then how do the good guys test to see if these devices um, have those vulnerabilities. So we talked about what are some of the, uh, you know, what are the top five? Like if you were just getting started, where would you want to talk about? So we were thinking about things like um, the chip whisperer to do um, side channel um, attacks to do, to, to do like, you know, the kind of power analysis kind of uh, stuff. Uh, the hack RF1 to do RF based um, attacks. Uh, the bus pirate for you know interfacing with i squared c or spy buses and uarts and and just seeing what you can uh tease out of a device um the jtagulator the black magic probe good fet uh i think i heard i heard rumor that uh, the successor to good fet great fet um is supposed to launch i think the end of next month um so that'll be interesting to see if that if that get a handle on that. Um, what else? Good fit, yeah. So that's kind of what we're thinking about. Those are probably the few that will make the list. Maybe a few more. Um, but you know, there's a lot. You know, and that's the thing is that you know a lot of these tools were built, and it's just like software tools that you know a lot of tools that make administrators lives easier things that make uh, hardware engineers as they're testing and prototyping with things that make their life easier well also once those tools are built to make you know whether you know it's software tools to you know do your network administration or if it's again you know jtag tools to help make um you know a developer's life easier when they're testing well, once those tools are built, potentially the bad guy can also use them to do nefarious things. So it's a cat and mouse game, which I think is quite interesting that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you ever, I don't, I don't think you do ever break away from that. Um, but it's also just, it'll be interesting to just talk about that from hardware because, you know, every podcast, every, every piece of training I go to has always been very intensive on the, um, the software side. And I think we're just getting to the point um, where we're seeing more and more in the hardware um, because again, the internet of things implies everything has a microcontroller in it 
everything has an embedded device. Um, and that means if literally everything, then, you know, that means the bad guys can, you know, say it's a kid's toy, right? And it's got, you know, it, it's a connects to the internet and reads the kid their, you know, weather report for the day or whatever. Um, if a bad guy can go out there and grab a device and then, you know, hook up, uh, insert whatever device name here and rip off the firmware and, and, you know, push out a quote unquote firmware update that everyone uploads. Well, are you ensuring that your, your firmware updates are signed and does your hardware only accept certain? So there's all this great stuff that's coming. It's a pain in the butt, but it's fun. Um, and, um, I think it's a good time to be a nerd. Anyway, uh, da, da, dun, dun. let me just go through the notes that I wanted to talk about. Everything that we talked about. So we're on EE catalog, the Arduino new hardware, the Vitor 4000 or Vitor 4000 or whatever the heck it's called. The crypto hardware that's on the newer stuff. We talked about open hardware versus a secure internet of things. The five Hardware hacking tools, Azure Sphere, Microsoft Seven Principles. Oh, the last thing we wanted to talk about was there's a uh, a news rundown. So stuff um, that if you had signed up for the the newsletter, um, we won't go into it right now. But just the, the highlights of the news, the headlines, whatever's um, uh, think uh, it Google Google announced um, some new hardware. Uh, to do uh, accelerated machine learning, um, part of their AIY, their I think it's Android it yourself AIY. They have the Vision Kit and the uh, Voice Kit, and um, that's paved the way for um, their Tensor Tensor processing units. So the hardware that's built around. Um, their machine learning um, technology. So you'll be able to purchase those. Um, I think there, it looks like there's two versions. One where it's kind of like a standalone development board. They're calling it the Edge TPU boards. Tensor, tensor processing unit. Um, and then there's one that uh, I think connects to other devices via a USB-C connection. I wish I want to make sure I get the freaking name right. Right? Why doesn't? Why don't they anywhere in a list? TensorFlow, right? Let's see here. Tensor processing unit. Yeah. So if you want to get some machine learning hardware. Um, again, one basically Raspberry Pi, um, kind of looking hardware. And then the other one is a, um, basically it's like the, the, you know, system on a module that you can integrate into other existing, uh, devices that you already are, are running and just offload some of the machine learning stuff, um, to the hardware. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Uh, Apple has joined a smart home mesh networking standards group. Um, the goodness there is again, the, from a home, from the home market, um, home automation market, the, even the industrial, the, you know, what's, you know, building automation, what's going to kill that or tamper it. I wouldn't say kill it is just, you know, there's so many protocols and so many standards. You know, we, we've got to start necking that down. Um, and, and there's got to be winners and losers. And, and you know, some, some things are going to go away and other things will, will be invested in. And standards, you know, to make an internet of everything, everything needs to be able to talk. So, uh, was it 
I think a Taiwanese plant, TSM, uh, TSMMC chip manufacturer announced that a uh, variant of the WannaCry virus shut down one of its plants for a few days. Um, feels kind of ironic, right? You know, not ironic. It just, I guess it's fitting that, you know, no one is vulnerable or no one is, uh, everyone is vulnerable. Uh, no one is uh, immune from, um, tax but it just it's one of those things where i find i'm here in the last couple of weeks it's just more and more um you know we're not just hitting it anymore it's it's operational technology that's going down it's you know we're, we're we really are starting to see more and more um cyber attacks aren't just interrupting youtube or twitter or things that are purely um you know Internet, it's, it's now that we're having real-world, physical-world impact um, with the same types of attacks. And I think that's kind of the next couple stories, right? Yeah. Sensors that power smart cities are a hacker's dream. Uh, hack causes pacemakers to deliver life-threatening shots. Um, there was a couple other ones, too. I wrote in a story just... It was funny. It was like every 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 day for about a week straight, there was a new um, cyber physical threat. You know, either a, a real world something has happened, or uh, researchers have found a vulnerability that could have let um, something happen. Um, and then finally, uh, Tesla is opening up its security code to other car manufacturers. Um, I don't know if people are aware, but Tesla. Uh, has open sourced a lot of their um, patents um, that they hold uh, on their electric vehicles as a hope to help jumpstart um, the electric vehicle revolution. Um, and now they are, um, at least Elon Musk has said he is intending to post the source code for the Tesla's car security software. Um the idea again being um, this stuff is internet of things. This is everything. This thing, this, the Tesla is connected to the internet. It's now an endpoint on, on the network. Um, bad guys can attack it. And how do you prevent that? And I think the world in general, uh, it seems like most people have realized that um, open source is probably more secure than proprietary because I think for two reasons. When you're proprietary, you can just hide behind the fact that you're a black box and just not admit that you really got a problem. Um, and be, you know, you'll, you know, as much as the smart people that you might hire to write your code, um, none of us, you know, the more people, the more eyes on target, the more chance you're going to find stuff. And, um, I, I think that, um, you know, I think open, you know, open source is just, let's put it this way. The trend is going that way more so than things are going proprietary, right? Um, so we'll see. We'll, we will see. Um, he didn't provide a timeline for availability. So, um, you know, it might not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. I don't know. But um, I think long term, not just for Tesla and their cars, but... Um, this goes back to why having open standards, right, uh, with Internet of Things. Doing things black box is what's kicked our butt here thus far. A lot of stuff, a lot of insecure IoT devices today are because it's basically, you know, custom black box software that no one really understands unless you, 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 um, you know, put, you know, get a hold of it, um, and then dump the firmware out. And go looking for vulnerabilities, which, you know, is it harder? Is that harder? Yes. Um, but why would you, my point is, why would you want to release, if I have a choice, if I release a device that has vulnerabilities and no way for anyone to find out, or would I rather have a device where Everyone's constantly looking at it and in making updates. I'd rather live in that world than a black box and just hope and pray. Because of the other thing, like, you know, 
black box devices, you're not you're not going to get up. You're not going to get updated, um, unless you're exposed. Whereas, or unless something bad happens. Whereas, um, when you're open source again, you could maybe beat you know beat the bad guys to the punch. Maybe you'll find the vulnerability, or a white hat will find the vulnerability before it's exploited. Maybe that's me being naive, but that's the world I would rather live in. All right. We are at 50 minutes. Holy crap, that's a lot of talking. Um, so I'm going to shut up and leave you with this. Uh, so, again, gearsofresistance.com, uh, eecatalog.com, featured blog there. So you can look for blogs there. The podcast will be here. We'll be on Stitcher, um, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and... Um, videos i'm not working on any videos right now there's no projects that i'm working on that i can do a video about right now um I'm basically i'm every every project i'm working on right now is for a client and therefore um i i'm not doing any really fun projects because i'm already uh, i'm so freaking tired after working on their stuff that to do anything for fun right now uh, I basically don't want to do anything that's electronic based for fun. So right now I'm not doing too many personal projects, but maybe at the end of the, uh, as the summer wraps up, that'll change as the fall gets here. All right. Um, so with that, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, until next time, I, we all do this. I used to say make better always, but then I found out my initials MBP could be make better perpetually. And I wrote that, and it looks good written. But when I try to say it as like a closing, it's hard because perpetually is like a really hard word to say, at least for me when it's like eleven o'clock at night trying to record a podcast. So it sounds good, but make better always just rolls off the tongue. But make better perpetually is kind of like my name, my my, um, you know, I'm kind of like a being a narcissist and incorporating my uh, um, my initials as part of the, the sign-off. So I don't know what we're going to do. But now you know. No one's half the battle, or you, I can't believe you're actually still listening. So with that, thank you all very much for listening, and until 9, stay quirky, and I'll see you soon. Oh